Be seated for the reading. The reading this morning is from the book of Philippians, chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, But now, much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life, in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labour for nothing. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Thank you very much for reading that, Karen. Good morning, everyone. Good to be with you. Let me uh, add my welcome to Joel's. It's great to have you with us this morning at St. Stephen's. Uh, And as he said, uh, this morning is the one service a month where we share the Lord's Supper. There's a little bit more going on than normal, so we don't normally give notices, but there's just a few things I need to mention just because it's a a special day. So allow me to do that. While I'm doing that, I'm going to ask someone sitting in my row whether they could grab my glasses out of my bag and just bring them to the front as I try and remember what the notices are. Uh, Next week, the service is a guest service. Next week, it's the first week of the school holidays, and St. Stephen's is running a holiday program. If you're helping out with the holiday program, thank you for what you do. Uh, Thank you, Molly, for what you do. 
if you're not, can I ask you to please pray for the holiday program? It's one of the um, opportunities we have for evangelism. The, many of the children who will come along don't normally come to church, don't normally hear about the Lord Jesus. This is a great opportunity for us to share the Lord Jesus with them. So please be praying for the, the work of that holiday program. But it will finish next Sunday with a guest service where we invite the families of those who've been at the um, holiday program. But it's also an opportunity for all of us here to invite people that wouldn't normally darken the doors of Shirley Intermediate on a Sunday morning to come in, and the service is evangelistic by nature. In other words, we're aiming it at those who don't know Jesus. It will be a great service to invite people to, and I'd encourage you to be praying and inviting people. You should have received one of these um, uh, invitations. If you didn't, grab one on the way out and uh, hand it to someone that you know this week. It would be great to have them along. I'm going to be preaching from the parable of the prodigal son, looking in particular at the younger brother. So especially if you know someone who perhaps used to go to church, used to know who the Lord was, but maybe they've wandered away, a great service for them to, uh, to come along to. So please do uh, take part in that. A uh, couple of other things to say. We've got some um, good news things to rejoice in this week. One I was going to mention is that Joel Abraham, our assistant minister at uh, St Stephen's, has been uh, going through for discernment for ordination, and I'm very pleased to say somehow Joel passed. <laughs> I don't know how that happened. No one's more surprised than I am that that's happened, but uh, that means that in October uh, Joel will be ordained and be the Reverend Joel Abraham, so I think that probably deserves a round of applause. We can say that. Joel's not here, is he? He's out with the children, I think. So we can say whatever we like about Joel this morning. Uh, secondly, um, uh, Nathan and Katrina Gull had their baby, Cleo. So isn't that great news? I, I think um, things were a little difficult, so please keep, in particular, um, Katrina in your prayers. But we rejoice in the birth uh, of another baby here at St Stephen's and uh, a little sister to Ezekiel. Uh, the other one is not so uh, pleasant Janice Dodd has been a, a long-term member of St Stephen's. She passed away last Sunday, and so please do keep the family of um, Janice in your prayers. Many of you may be hearing this for the first time because I don't think there's been a death notice for Janice during the week, but she died last Sunday. Uh, there will be a funeral for her next Saturday, but it's, going, it, it's on a Saturday at 4 o'clock at John Rind. And originally, I think the family were going to keep it private because it's going to be very small. There's only going to be about a dozen people there. But Joel and I were with the family yesterday, and they said if there were any St Stephen's uh, members who, who knew and, and remembered Janice and would like to be there, you are welcome to come. Come and see me afterwards for the details. A number of people here this morning won't know Janice. She hasn't been well enough to be able to be with us physically here for the last couple of years. But please do keep the family of Janice uh, in in your, in your prayers. Uh, let me pray now. Heavenly Father, we, as a church family, it's a privilege to be able to rejoice with those who rejoice and to mourn with those who mourn. And this morning we find ourselves as a church family doing both. We thank you for the good news about Joel. Uh, we rejoice in the birth of Cleo, and yet we're saddened by the loss of Janice. Father, we uh, thank you that Janice knew and trusted the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that for her, suffering is over and she's with her Saviour. And yet we are also aware that there are those who will miss and mourn Janice. And we pray for your comfort amongst them now. Father, we pray for all of us here this morning that as your children, as your people, as we open your word, as we spend time thinking on what you have to say to us, that by your spirit you may work within us, individually and corporately as a church family, 
that we may be open to the leading of your spirit, that we may um, uh, come to trust you more deeply and love you more faithfully. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, For those of you who are regularly here at St. Stephen's, you may know we've been going through a series in Matthew's Gospel, but we've finished, and we've got a couple of one-offs before we start our next series. So this morning, we're, uh, we're in the book of Philippians, that great passage that Karen just read to us, but we're not really looking at Philippians 2, we're thinking about the topic of humility. We're thinking about humility. Uh, Next week, because it's the guest service, we're going to be uh, looking at the prodigal son, as I said, and the week after that, Joel's going to be looking at Psalm 32. Then we're starting a new series in the book of Esther. But this morning, as I said, it's a little bit different. We're doing kind of a topical uh, one-off on the issue of humility. I can't hear the passage that was read by Karen before without thinking about an old movie I used to watch. And uh, I last preached on Philippians something like six or seven years ago. And I went back in my notes to look at what I did, and I mentioned this illustration. And I thought, it's funny, it always come to my mind, so I'm going to mention it again this morning. Uh, Some of you will know that I like old black and white movies. I think my dad got me onto them, and I've mentioned a couple of the black and white movies over the years here at St. Stephen's. One of my favourite black and white actors, not that he was black and white, you know what I mean, uh, was James Cagney. Hands up if you are old enough to remember James Cagney or ever saw James... There you go, thank you. An incredible dancer who then became an actor. And one of his most famous movies was one called Angels with Dirty Faces. Angels with Dirty Faces, I hear a bit of a hum from some. The movie begins with two kids who are up to no good. And these two kids rob a railway carriage. And as they're getting away, one of them nearly gets hit by a train and the other one saves him. The police keep chasing them after this near miss with the train and the one who was saved by his mate gets away. He runs faster and he gets away from the police. The other one who did the saving is too slow and gets caught. And that one moment leads their lives in very different directions. The one who got away never got a record. And he gets all the breaks and he grows up and leads a kind of respectable life. The one who gets caught gets a record and he gets in more and more trouble. The boy who got saved and got away, Jerry, grows up to be a priest and he works with at-risk youth. He works with those kids who are in danger of doing what he nearly did all those years ago, and he tries to set an example for them and look after them. The one who did the saving but got caught is called, anyone remember? Rocky. And Rocky grows up, after this bad start, to be a well-known violent gangster. That's James Cagney's character. Now, the kids that Jerry, the priest, works with idolise Rocky. They look up to him. He's a guy who demands respect whenever he goes around. He's got means and he's got power and he's, um, people are scared of him. They're everything that, he's everything that they would like to be. But in the movie, Rocky gets caught a second time by the police and he's sentenced to death. And as he's in jail... Jerry, his old childhood friend, is the priest who's called in to come, be, come before him before he goes to the electric chair to be uh, electrocuted. And he asks his old friend Rocky to do him one favour before he dies. He asks him first, are you, how are you feeling? And Rocky goes, I'm fine. 
This doesn't worry me at all. I'm prepared for this. I knew it could happen, and I'm up for it. He even goes further. He says, it's people with a heart that worry about these kind of things, and I never got one of those. And he, and he goes on. Jerry then says to him, I want you to do something. I want you to have courage. And then he says, I want you to have a different kind of courage, Rocky. A courage that is, well, born in heaven. Not the courage of heroics and bravado, but the kind that you and I and God know about. And then he looks at Rocky and he says, I'd like you, Rocky, to go to the chair, Yella. Now have a think what that means for a moment. I want you to go to the chair, Yella. Yellow meaning cowardly. Yellow meaning showing that you're scared and afraid and in fear for your life. And he says, I want you to do that so that the boys that I work with who look up to you will see that this is no life to live and they will turn from their life and live a different way. Well, you can imagine how Rocky responds. He says, absolutely not. The only thing I've got left is my pride. The only thing I've got left is my self-respect and my dignity and there's no way I'm showing any fear and there's no way I'm flinching in any way as I go down and I face my death. But before his death... At the end of the movie, and it's quite a—it's a moving kind of scene. If you've ever seen it, you'll probably—I rem- still remember it from when I was a youngster. Uh, James Cagney fights against death, screams all the way through it, and then at the end of the movies, you can see the effect it has on the boys when they hear that their hero turned yellow at the end. It's a very powerful moment in a powerful movie. This guy humiliates himself for the good of others for the request that came from his friend, for the good of the youngsters that he hadn't really met or known. He sets aside his own reputation, his own dignity, his own strength for the good of others. He lowers himself so that others may be raised up. Now, as powerful a moment as that is in the movie, The uh, Angels with Dirty Faces, this morning we've seen an even greater example of that in the words that Karen read to us. These well-known words from the book of Philippians where Jesus did something, this is it, in a completely different level from what Rocky did. Uh, if we can see verse 5, Alex, Christ, the end of verse 5, Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Here's the humility of Jesus. Here are verses that as a preacher you don't really want to preach on because they're so powerful in and of themselves, anything we say about them kind of lessens their strength. You can't possibly do justice to them. We're familiar with rags-to-riches stories today, but here's a riches-to-rags story. As Jesus gives up the glory of being God, doesn't grasp on to the power and the authority and the status and the dignity that he had, but he lowers himself, makes himself nothing as a man, humbles himself to death, even death on a cross, for the glory of God and the good of other people. In a similar way that Rocky humiliated himself for the kids and angels with dirty faces... Jesus humiliates himself for you and I. The cross was exactly that, humiliation. It was, back then, if you saw it, it was a, it was a symbol of uh, violence and failure and loss and shame. It was a symbol of being a criminal and being forsaken by God. 
And Jesus humiliated himself to save you and I. And this morning, as I said, uh, this is a a one-off. I don't want us to study in, in depth Philippians itself. I just want us to see the humility that Paul is speaking of here, the humility that he describes in Jesus and the humility that he therefore, because it's in Jesus, expects of you and I, those of us who follow Jesus. In this part of Philippians, Paul is asking for the Christians to be united. If you have a look at verse, the end of verse 2, he's saying he wants the Philippians and therefore all Christians to be like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. So he's saying we as Christians are supposed to have unity. But he knows that unity is not e- easy for Christians because of the danger of pride, because of the difficulty of selfishness that's in all of us. So in verses 3 and 4, he says, be united, but then he speaks of the dangers that are there, the dangers of pride and the need for humility, because pride can ruin unity, uh, but humility will enable unity. Look at verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So he's saying, as Christians, we should have unity. Selfishness and kind of pride gets in the way of that. So we should be humble, considering others better than ourselves and looking out for their interests, not just our own. And then he moves into verse 5 and these great words about Jesus, saying that Jesus is the example of that, the example par excellence. See verse 5? He says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ. Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped of, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. And so do you see Paul's argument here? He's saying we should put aside pride and be humble like Jesus, who did this more than anyone. And so this morning, all I want us to think about for, for the next few minutes is the honour of humility. The honour of humility. And I know that as I say it, humility today has somehow become a weak word, a wussy word. I don't know how, but it has. Say humility in certain circles and you're looked down upon or laughed or you're seen to be being kind of uh, pathetic in some way. This, this idea of humility being strength and being right is very countercultural today. As Christians, we've always got two choices in how to live. We can either either live as we're supposed to be, people of the kingdom of God, or we can live as people of this world. There's always a decision. Which way are we going to live? The way following and honouring the Lord Jesus Christ as people of the kingdom, or are we going to live as people of this world? Our own preferences, the, the, uh, the wisdom of society. Which way are we going to do it? And sometimes those two things interact. that They're the same thing, but sometimes they're miles apart. And this is one of those issues I would say at the moment is we're miles apart on. For Christians, humility is the way to live. For the world, it's seen as the way of weakness. Today, we never hear, consider others better than yourself. Come and see me if you disagree afterwards. But there was a time, a number of years ago, when to be other person-centred and to see others as better than yourself was celebrated and it was encouraged, but no more. It's not seen as a virtue anymore. There was a time when husbands were told to put their wives first. Not today. There was a time when wives uh, were to put their husbands first. Not anymore. Today you're far more likely to say, no, no, you've got to prioritise yourself within your relationships. Got to look after you and make sure that you're being satisfied and cared for. 
Last night our, our family was, we were having boys night like we do on a Saturday, which means watching a, a TV program. And on the TV program there was a, a married couple splitting up and they've got children. And um, instead of putting the children first, one of the, the members of the, the couple said, I need to look after myself right now. My happiness is more important. And this wasn't portrayed as negative. This character wasn't being shown to be selfish or anything like that. It was seen to be within the, the program the right way to go. We're teaching and training our youngsters nowadays, I think, more to exert themselves, to, to make their own demands, to stand up for themselves, to be called what they want to be called, treated as they want it to be expected, uh, to be given the opportunities that they want, to not let others go first, not fit in around other people's desires in a way which breeds selfishness. We live in a selfish time and an expectant era. And it's not like pride wasn't a big enough problem before. Pride was already a problem before, but now we kind of celebrate it and we train and instruct others in it. Real wisdom, if you're a parent, to raise your children knowing that they're loved, loved by God and loved by you, but that the world doesn't revolve around them. That's wisdom and good as a parent. You want your children to experience boredom and loss and wanting others to be happy and as well-placed above themselves. That's good. We do it with our elders today. So often our elders are an impediment to us and get in the way of what we really want to be doing. We do it in our friendships. There are so many people today who say, I've got no genuine friendships. And I can tell you why, because we're all so profoundly selfish. Very hard to have a friend... Uh, when we just care about ourselves, who cares for us? We, we get it all around the wrong way. And pride is natural to us. It's kind of our normal default position. So in a society which celebrates pride and preaches selfishness, it's even worse. But for us as Christians, there's a different way. Verse 3, in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Humility. Let me tell you what humility isn't, because we sometimes get it wrong. Humility isn't low self-esteem. Humility is not being a doormat. Humility isn't speaking in a quiet tone or seeming timid. It's not thinking less of ourselves, although it may be thinking of ourselves less. Humility is a confidence in God and a love for other people before being self-obsessed. It's putting him first, then others, then ourselves. It's a confidence in him rather than an arrogance in self. And so humility for the Christian will still come with confidence. It's just confidence in the one who's our creator and redeemer. Which means that humility doesn't necessarily come in an uncertain tone or in uh, a kind of sense of doubt. It's not like you can't be certain and humble. But it will come in a confidence in God, not an arrogance in self. It will come in a love for God that wants him glorified and others built up and raised up before we want ourselves feeling happy or satisfied. It will change the way we interact with people. When Christians today speak out against the evil of this world and the moral slide in our society, and I pray that Christians will speak out against those things, if you do it in humility, it will change the tone of the way you do it won't change the truth of it, but it will change the tone. 
I once heard a Christian minister who I totally agreed with in terms of what they were saying about the evils of the society around us, but they said it with such anger and kind of um, almost as if they were different from the people they were speaking against that I went and chatted to them afterwards and they said, well, that's how Jesus spoke out against the evil of the world. True, Jesus didn't have a log in his own eye. You and I do. And if we know we've got a log in our own eye, if we know that there's a brokenness to us and we're not just pointing the finger at other people that are broken, but we know ourselves, all we've done is receive grace, it won't change the truth of what we're saying, but it will change the tone in which we say it. Humility. Humility will mean we're aware of our own failings. That doesn't mean we're down on ourselves because we also know the joy of forgiveness and how wonderful salvation is, but we know the brokenness of ourselves. And it will mean we don't just speak the truth to win an argument or batter another person, but to win a person to the Lord Jesus Christ. It will change things. Humility. Can I ask you from verse 5, what's your attitude? Is it the same as that of Jesus Christ? I know what mine is all too often, especially if I'm left to my own devices. Pride just comes out again and again. That's why I need to spend time in the Word and in prayer and in fellowship with brothers and sisters who can keep pointing me back to Jesus, keep helping me reorient my life and redirect my life. You and I have the privilege of following the person who personified humility better than anyone else who's ever walked on this earth. We we walk in the footsteps of the servant king, the one who came not to be served but to serve. That's ridiculous if you know who he is. He's the king of creation and the Lord of all. And he came not to be served but to serve. He's the one who washed the feet of his disciples, then went to the cross for them. And just before you think, well, yes, he did it for the disciples. He did it for. What were the disciples like? A great and glorious band of men? Is that what the disciples were? Or were they people who'd argued amongst themselves about who was the greatest while he was living? Were they people who, when Jesus was in his hour of need, uh, betrayed him, ran away, and denied him? Jesus didn't just serve people who could further his career or who he saw as powerful and influential and would benefit his life. He served the weak and the lowly, the frail and the sinful, and then he died for us. At the beginning of the year, I was at a Christian conference and I was asked a number of questions and one of them was to say the greatest quality about the different members of my family member, uh, the different qualities of my family members. And I described one of them as a servant and I said that was their greatest attitude. That was their greatest quality. And I could almost uh, hear the audible sighs. I could almost see the visible winces as I described someone's greatest quality in my family as being a servant. And I think it made it worse. It was a female member of my um, family. I think my servants. (laughs) It was a female member of my servants, and they didn't seem to like it. Uh, It was a female member of my family, and I think in some ways that made it worse. Where have we got to when we as Christians don't think that being described as a servant is the greatest honour? We follow the servant king. We follow the one who laid down his life for you and I. And we have the privilege, the privilege of being his servants and serving others. 
How warped have we become by the morals and standards of this world when we don't think being called a servant is the greatest privilege and the highest compliment? Friends, you have someone who humiliated himself for you. You are loved by someone who sacrificed himself for you, who pushed aside his own dignity, his own glory, his own status, his own privileges, so that you might be forgiven and saved and raised up. What a privilege we have to live in a similar way. And that's always the order. Down, then up. So he went down so that we can be raised up. That's always the the way it works for Christians. And it is for Jesus too. In these verses in Philippians, these famous verses, Jesus lowers himself, but then, verse 9, Alex, if we can have verse 9, it goes, therefore God exalted him to the highest place. Jesus lowers himself, then is exalted Lord of all. It's because Jesus lowered himself, he was exalted. That's always God's economy. Go down to go up. It's those who lower themselves that God esteems. That is greatness before the Lord. The last shall be first. Being a servant is best. The honour of humility. These wonderful, beautiful words of Paul, these powerful truths that he says here, should help you and I live a life of humility. As we see Jesus and see his humility, I'll finish with this, it should help us live a life of humility in two ways. One, very hard to be proud when you look at Jesus on the cross and know I put him there. Very hard to be proud when you look at that and know we caused him to humble himself in that way. That's the first way. But the second way is it sets an example for us. Him not grasping that status and glory. We see it and that's how we're to live. For the glory of God and the good of other people. If we've been blessed much we should be a great blessing to others. And as we live that life, that countercultural life, that way of the kingdom instead of the way of culture, it will set a wonderful example to a, to a world that's lost. Because that world is preaching selfishness and is surprised by, by loneliness. We will live service and bring connection, and the world it will be a powerful witness to the Lord Jesus Christ. So can I ask you this morning and this week, to look at yourself, as I've been looking at myself, to see are we living lives of humility. Let's not fool ourselves or let ourselves off the hook. If you know, even as I'm speaking, that this morning it's pricking you to change, to put to death in some ways particular pride in your life, to deliberately, intentionally live a life more of humility, can I encourage you, keep fixing your eyes on Jesus because that's the way that will help us live this way more than anything else so that we can have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. And it will, it will, it's the best way to live, and it will also set the most powerful witness to Jesus in this world. Look at Jesus and live his way. As the old, well-known words put it, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your son the one who humbled himself in a way that we can barely understand and so often fail to give thanks for. We just take it for granted. I pray that we would keep our eyes fixed on him and his example and seek to do the same. Father, we thank you that this morning we share the Lord's Supper and we will remember even more closely the way he humbled himself for us. Let that inspire us and encourage us. 
We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.